0: Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me Michael Hennessy. This is a regular update for all your tillage news and advice. Energy cost increases have been a huge topic of discussion in the past six months since the invasion of Ukraine. There are more and more discussions now centering on the potential energy outages this autumn across Ireland. Let's hope it doesn't get to this as it's a long winter's night without electricity to power lights, heating and the TV. However, there's a much more serious outcome if farmers need electricity to power critical infrastructure in their farmyards, such as grain stores or potato stores or workshops. There may be a few solutions farmers could avail of to keep their businesses running. And to discuss that, I'm delighted to be joined by Barry Caslin, a bioenergy specialist in Chucks. Barry, you've been advising and promoting renewable energies in the farming sector for a long time now, um, but I suppose look, it's been probably a little bit difficult, a bit of an uphill kind of struggle as the margins probably weren't there without good government support. Um, but look, I suppose the hugely increased energy costs has probably renewed government and maybe EU view of renewable energy over the last little while. What's it looking like now, or how are governments viewing uh, the renewable sector now?
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. If you look at the whole issue right across Europe, we have geopolitical issues in terms of driving up gas prices right across Europe. So we've seen the price of gas. And we buy gas in what's called terms of energy. So, uh, you know, two years ago, we were buying gas at, uh, f- at 50 pence per term. Today, we're buying it at over five euro per term. So that's a tenfold increase in gas prices. There's about seven, and if you take Ireland alone, we're importing most of our gas is coming in from the UK, Norway. Uh, we're not as dependent on Russian gas as countries like Germany would be. But at the same time, that pool of gas is going to be uh, uh, in hotter demand. You will see the price of it increasing even, even more. Um, so the 700,000 houses in Ireland that are dependent on gas to heat their homes, half our electricity is produced using gas in Ireland also. So we're very, very dependent on that as a, as a fossil fuel feedstock for energy needs. Uh, It's the the expected supply of gas on the European market is expected to diminish over the winter. There's expected to be, I suppose, curtailed supplies in many European countries. That's going to have a knock on effect in Ireland and other countries. And um, I suppose that's why I suppose the whole area of renewables is seeing a renewed impetus or drive behind it at at European level. So I suppose that's why we're looking at technologies such as solar and anaerobic digestion and um, uh, solar PV, the likes of uh, uh, biomass boilers, which can, and, and of course, energy efficiency as well, which sure. can be w- ways of uh, decreasing the demand or requirement for renewable, e- for, for energy.
0: And Barry, did I see the EU um, carved out a pretty big budget there to um, fund extra renewable energies over the next number of years?
1: Yeah, there have been, um, I suppose, been an, a- an allocation to the various countries, uh, a requirement for them to implement through their national action plans uh, to to implement uh, energy uh, renewable energy technologies where possible. Now, some countries are moving at different paces with that. Some countries are well ahead, like sort of Sweden and Germany as well, whereas other countries are coming from a la- very low base. So we are going to be seeing in Ireland, we will be seeing more supports for the likes of technologies such as biogas to replace the natural gases in the gas grid at the moment. Uh, you'll see supports for the likes of solar PV at much greater levels. So uh, you know, you're know you going to see vast tracts of land covered with the likes of solar PV panels and make no mistake about it. there is going to be a massive demand for land. Renewables won't happen, Michael, without land. So whether that's land for biomass, to produce, uh, you know, energy crops or whether it's grass to feed anaerobic digesters, land is going to be needed for that. It'll be needed for wind turbines. It'll be needed for solar PV panels. So this, is, I suppose, farmers will be in a very enviable position in terms of the fact that they have the land to host these renewable technologies.
0: And to to a degree, Barry, I don't know. We've probably heard a lot of this before. Um, renewables tried to take off before in the past, and probably some of the bigger uh, massive energy companies maybe have taken on the wind and that kind of thing. But it's it's always been hard to get back down to farmer level. When do you think there'll be money on the table? When do you think there'll be um, something tangible that a farmer can actually get their hands on to kind of say, geez, you know what? I see a business plan there and away I go.
1: Yeah, I suppose most of the supports that are there at the moment, Michael, are for the likes of micro generation uh, for solar PV. And that's actually making sense at the moment, certainly for dairy farmers, pig and poultry farmers. It's making sense for them to be considering solar PV at a micro generation level uh, for their own self-consumption. And actually the scheme has been designed more on self-consumption where you're offsetting your own import requirements for electricity, rather than what we see in other countries whereby you get paid to export and get paid handsomely to export large amounts of electricity on the grid that doesn't seem to be the the uh, journey of travel for ireland so it seems to be more that uh, that the supports are being given to offset your own import requirements
0: and what about some of the other bigger stuff energy uh, barry because we get to the solar pv in a second the other kind of bigger stuff to the, the the wind or the you, you talked about the digesters and some of those kind of things or mm-hmm. maybe even mm-hmm. growing the likes of bioenergy willows and things like that in the past which tried to take off but never really did get anywhere to try and burn that to, to make electricity is there, is there any view on 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 where when money might be on the table for something like those
1: i think everything has been discussed at the moment michael at uh, you know behind the scenes in relation to energy crops pulpwood from forestry Basically, we're looking at everything that's available that can be used to, uh, to, to meet our, our future energy needs going forward. Um, you know, I suppose we don't want to see a, a, a situation whereby whole trees are being burnt. You know, it's only the pulpwood we want to see being, being combusted for energy purposes. And at the moment, with the way energy prices are, we could have a very unsustainable situation if we see whole trees being burnt uh, to, um, to, to, to generate uh, ele- electricity or heat. I suppose in relation to the larger projects, you know, that, that you mentioned there as well, the, the likes of uh, s- uh, solar PV on large scales where you see hundreds of acres covered with panels, where you see large areas covered with wind turbines. There is a massive plan for um, offshore wind. Uh, there's issues with foreshore licenses there at the moment, but we are going to see a lot of our gigawatts of electricity in the, f- in the future being produced from offshore uh, wind. But there will be a, a large requirement for onshore wind as well as the solar PV, and the RES scheme is covering that. That's the Renewable Electricity Support Scheme. So that covers those, and there's been two auctions. That's an auction-based support mechanism. There's been two auctions to date. So there's been um, uh, probably up to 5,000 acres of land that has been given the green light for solar PV through that. Some of that has already started. I think the first one was in Wicklow. It was on the news a few weeks ago. Harry, just Where, before
0: just before you get into that, we might just, just go back a little bit because just to make sure we have everybody with us and uh, we might just talk about PV, solar PV. And actually, I wouldn't mind you just giving give me just a little quick update as regards to what is it? How does it work? How efficient is it? And typically how long a, plan, uh, a panel would actually last or a kind of a, a field in them or whatever might last. And we'll, we'll come back then to maybe how much land is going to take up there in a little while. So maybe just in terms of how efficient is PV, what is it? How does it work? That kind of thing.
1: So solar PV are sort of, photovoltaic is, is called, it first, the energy from the daylight and the sun into electricity. So it's a well-proven technology. It's uh, you, you can have it at a large scale or you can have it at a small scale. Generally, for a domestic dwelling house, you're talking about maybe three to five kilowatts of solar PV would, would be required. For a dairy farmer, maybe 100 cows, you're talking about maybe nine to 11 kilowatts of solar PV would be required. Some businesses could go much higher than that. But it's a very well proven technology and you know the government policy is there to electrify heating and transport so at the moment the average house or domestic dwelling house would use in the region of maybe four and a half thousand kilowatt hours of electricity per year that's set to increase in the future as houses move away from kerosene to, to heat them and gas to heat them and more to heat pumps so you're going to see electrification of the heat source in those houses whereby a compressor will, will run the heat pump and that compressor runs on electricity. You will see car, uh, cars being charged at houses in the future, again, increasing the demand for electricity at domestic level. So that's the government policy is to electrify heating and transport. Uh, electricity prices are trending upwards. Uh, solar PV panels work very, very well in Irish conditions.
0: In terms of the sunlight, I mean, we're a we're long ways up in, on, on, on the planet Earth, I suppose, long ways up north lots of sunlight during you know, four or five months of the year and not so much in the rest of the year. How is there enough sunlight there? Is it worthwhile?
1: Yeah, it's making sense. Like the output is very predictable in terms of the kilowatt, uh, you know, kilowatt output that you'll get per year. So it's possible to say that from one kilowatt of a solar PV array, you will get in the region of maybe 800 to 1000 kilowatt hours of electricity from that kilowatt installed. Um, the panels that do need to be faced south are east-west orientation to maximize the, the, the sunshine during the day. It's not recommended to face the north. If you do, you won't be capturing all the sun. And, um, you know, and it depends on your business, Michael, as well, that will determine, uh, you know, that, that will determine what you're going to get out of it in the year. So if you have if, you have, if, if a dairy farm that is a spring cabin herd, for example, they're going to have that bell-shaped production where they'll be producing uh, most of their electricity between February and November. It goes down for January, it goes down for December in terms of the the production potential of electricity. They can be remotely monitored. So it's possible from your mobile phone to observe, to see how many kilowatt hours of electricity are producing at any given time during the day. Um, And there there should be sized so that the output is less than the base load of the farm. Because there's no point in oversizing these panels. There's no point in putting in higher kilowatt capacity than what you actually require because you're not going to get paid uh, for for doing that at the moment.
0: Okay. And I'm 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 kind of conscious that, that some of our listeners are very much tillage and they're probably screaming at them, yeah, I'm a tillage farmer, I'm not a bloody dairy farmer. They're probably shouting that at us at the moment. Um so just going back a little bit, just in terms of you mentioned the orientation there a second ago. Can these and you're saying orientated towards the south, um, but where can these lads be or these panels be installed? Is it, is it on sheds or is it on the ground? And, and if you are installing them there, do they need plan permission?
1: Yeah, uh, so they do require planning permission if they go over um, a certain size. So if you take a domestic dwelling house, and I mentioned to you already that a domestic dwelling house would require between maybe three and five kilowatts of solar PV. If you, the, the limit on a domestic dwelling house today is is 12 square meters so roughly every kilowatt would require a space of around five square meters so if you divide 12 uh, 5 into 12 that's just over two two, you're just talking about over two kilowatts you can get away with in a domestic house without requiring planning permission on an agricultural building so if you had a, a grain store if you had a a data cooling re- requirement, refriger- refrigeration and re- cooling requirement, and you were putting panels on a data store, for example, you will be putting up. Um, you would probably require maybe fifty kilowatts of PV, but you can, o- you will only be able to put up nine kilowatts in the absence. Uh, you know, w- uh, otherwise you'll require planning permission, and that's obviously an added cost to the whole proposal as well when you actually have to go for planning. And that's said to change, Michael, as well, and that's an important point. That planning is not uh, that that this upper limit of 50 square meters is supposed to be uh, removed fairly soon because it's certainly a limiting factor or it's, it's delaying the the many projects getting underway
0: okay is there any fear and um, Barry say and you and we talk. you talked there about a, a potato store uh, which can be relatively large sheds and it's a relatively big uh, surface area on top of top of uh, at least one side of those sheds so you can put PV panels on is there any risk that the local county council could look at those going up onto it and kind of say, "Well, hang on there, that's not a commercial um, scenario. that's like or that's not a farming output, that's a commercial output. Um, and that's a potential exposure to commercial rates there?
1: Yeah, I, this has come up before, and it does it's some, certain, certain something that needs to be as was clarified before somebody goes ahead with our project. And uh, I suppose you need to speak to the local planners within your local authority to get that one ironed out. But it's I certainly have heard that being raised before and it could be a potential issue.
0: Okay. And you mentioned, I, I know you talked about dairy farmers now, but if we switch that back again to what you were talking about in terms of the potato uh, store, um, and I think you mentioned already to get the best out of the PV or the, the electricity coming out of the PV, it's self-use. Um, but is that is, is there no hope at all of selling stuff off to the grid? Or what's the price differential, basically, between the two of them potentially going to be?
1: Yeah, I suppose within tillage systems, it's probably making more sense for potato farmers who have um, a cooling requirement to, 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 um, to, to, to look at the PV. Uh, I suppose look, they'd be looking maybe at dryers where there'd be electric fans, there'd be refrigeration requirements. There'd be, uh, you know, a certain amount of ventilation fans or maybe recirculating fans or lighting as well. You know, that, that, that's something that certainly needs to be looked at on data stores. Um, you know, there's, there's great variances in terms of the costs between fluorescent and moving to LED. That, that's that's a, a, something where savings can be made there as well. But in terms of exporting electricity back to the grid, yeah, there were, we expect now that the official date that was given was August that there will be possible to export excess electricity back to the grid by August of this year. Now we're in August as we speak today, but there is, uh, I would hope that by the end of the year that you will be able to export back to the grid and get uh, your clean export premium, which is 13 and a half cents per kilowatt hour. Now don't forget, you can get a TAMS grant as well. But if you do get a TAMS grant, a uh, 40% TAMS grant, you will not be able to get the clean export premium and export back to the grid. So you have to either go for one or the other. You have to decide at the outset, are you going to take the TAMS grant or are you going to go for um, the the other option where, where where you're going to forfeit the TAMS grant and pay for it outright and uh, get your clean export premium or your clean export guarantee from your your electricity utility provider.
0: Okay, and I'm right in saying that uh, that that the you can export it for thirteen and a half cents per kilowatt hour, but if the farmer is to use it himself and displace what 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 might be bought in, that's probably going to be thirty, maybe even thirty five cents a kilowatt hour. So it certainly yeah. makes more sense to use use it themselves.
1: it's very it's very variable in terms of what people are paying across the country, and it's well worthwhile sitting down and looking at you know even switching your provider, potentially getting a better deal. Uh, on your electricity for the next 12 months and um, there's great variation out there and great and savings can be made by switching provider and um, electricity prices are set to go up even higher as we go into this winter so that's why it will be important for people to look at their their energy provider and see where they can switch to get better savings
0: okay so obviously these thing the, these panels um, and installing them cost a good bit of money what sort of capital outlay is required at the very start and and i suppose maybe to put it into context in in today's terms with today's prices or or, or we know electricity prices are for your own use what sort of payback is or how long will it take for farmers to get their money back
1: yeah they 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 vary in terms of um you know and depends on the size the bigger you go the 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 less that they cost per kilowatt installed so you get you get great variation there in terms of you know you could you could be down to uh, 900 euro per kilo, uh, uh, 900 euro per kilowatt installed, up to maybe 1,600 euro per kilowatt installed, depending on um, you know, the system. So like if you take a and at the moment we're restricted under ESB rules to an 11 kilowatt PV array. Uh, otherwise you have to you have to pay for what's called a G10 relay and that's kind of a restriction on what can go back to the grid at certain times in the case of an emergency that they don't, don't want systems to be sized above that. That's something that's set to change as well under the new micro generation scheme to, to facilitate projects up to 50 kilowatts. So we will see that uh, limit of 11 kilowatts changing. But if we take that current limit of 11 kilowatts, you would probably buy an 11 kilowatt system, including the inverter for around €15,300 net of VAT. Um, that would that that, that that system would generate in the region of around maybe 10,000 kilowatt hours of electricity per year. So it depends, each business would need to be looked at individually to determine what percentage of the kilowatt hours of electricity generated would that business be able to utilize in a given year. So if you take a pig unit, they would certainly be able to probably put up a 50 kilowatt unit or even larger and use 100% of the electricity on that farm because they have continuous demand with fans and uh, moving part, feed feed augers lighting systems continuous uh, base load demand on those farms and animals are in all year round if you take a dairy farm that wouldn't be the case they would only have uh, you know the, the the demand maybe of maybe between two to four kilowatt hours of a base load of electricity sure. all the time with spikes in the morning and spikes in the evening uh, for the morning and evening milking so that 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 would be um, and then if the cows are out grazing during the day they don't have that demand for electricity during the, except with the, except for the cooling tanks. so it depends on the business as regards what they're going to, what their demand is going to be and in some situations they may need battery to back it up and to release the energy from the battery at times of maybe at the night time uh, when they're not producing electricity to to uh to to, to even out that, that and i was that. just
0: thinking about your 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 example there on the dairy farm we switched that back maybe a little bit again just thinking of our listener back to the the potato store and um, sun doesn't shine a whole lot as soon as the potatoes go in go in and most of them are being cooled and um ventilated i suppose through november all the way across to kind of february or march kind of thing um so would, would would a farmer really get the best use out of it do you think
1: we get the best use out of it, I suppose, again, it's it's I, I think it would make sense uh, to use the solar PV for refrigeration units like that, where you, you wouldn't get the real benefit out of solar for January February. um, And and December those, those particular months, but you know it does start to increase from February onwards, as you get more daylight hours uh, and you don't necessarily need to have a lot of sunshine, you just need brightness it's it's the other it's, it's those particular three months where you're going to have less output per kilowatt. It's Really, as
0: you say it's really it's really back to kind of individually specking out a system for the given load or base load as you call it that's that that's on the farm on a day-to-day basis trying to get trying to get the back out best out of that Barry can you tell me um just finally where is the best place or is there a number of places you can point our listeners to uh, to get good information that's suitable for for the farming community uh, in, in terms of how to spec it uh, where to put it that kind of thing
1: yeah i would say that well there are energy independent energy advisors um around the country as well by doing a google search you'll find some of those people but there's what has been set up in recent times is one-stop shops by SEI, and that's both to help people you know, with our domestic dwelling houses to retrofit them and come up with plans for those for those houses as regards how they're going to insulate them and how they're going to improve the energy efficiency of them and maybe move put in heat pumps and to spec it all out. Those so, so those one-stop shops to, to Google them. Uh, would be well worthwhile and to see what one-stop shop is operating in your functional area there's a lot of information as well on the SEAI website that's the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland on their website as regards uh, Mm -hmm. being more energy efficient also the SEAI on their website they have got an energy training module uh, on renewable energy and that's that's something that uh, I suppose businesses can get their staff to do. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very it doesn't take a lot of time to do it but it's just acquainting people uh, who are working on farms where a lot of energy is being used. It's acquainting them with, with terminology such as kilowatt hours uh, that they understand you know, the difference between LED lighting and um, uh, fluorescent lighting and the savings that can be made by moving to, to the likes of an LED light versus a, a CFL or a, or a, a fluorescent light
0: okay thanks mary that's brilliant that's great to to get a bit of an insight into solar pv and as as, as you mentioned before and I think there's been some commentary on on some of the uh, social medias and uh, and elsewhere the amount of land that, that potentially might end up in, in, in under solar Pv Barry we might have you back again if you're willing to come back and maybe once these um the, the likes of the feedstocks and when, when that gets a little bit closer to a farmer actually trying to avail of them we'll we'll get you back so we can uh delve into that in a little bit more depth again
1: absolutely
0: so that's it for this week and my thanks to barry for joining me on the podcast there's just a couple of areas i want to mention before i sign off today in order to understand the aspects of the podcast which are most appealing and beneficial to you i would greatly appreciate if you could take three to four minutes to complete a survey details of this are in the podcast notes the chagas crops forum is running again this year on thursday september the 8th in the Shee hotel Nice. The event will cover areas such as what we can expect from CAP 2023 and the new Acres Environmental Scheme, but we'll also concentrate on the risks involved in producing crops for the 2023 harvest. Mark this in your calendar and i certainly look forward to meeting you at the event. And finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague and as always rate, review and follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back to you next week with more tillage news and advice.